Reading from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Jeanette. Uh, that is not our text this morning, but it's important for us to just read uh, a few of those portions from the Psalms that remind us the character of God, His love of the humble for justice, and uh, that is our foundation, really, as we consider these things. Well, Ruby uh, was the youngest of ten siblings born to a very poor family in the Philippines. Poverty drove her family to look for work in other cities. And sometime later, both Ruby's parents died within a year of each other. And so she found herself all alone, even somewhat rejected by her siblings. And so when she was just 16 years old, Ruby saw an advertisement for workers in a computer shop. And with that came the promise of of a better life, of some independence, of some purpose. Ruby thought that it was a godsend even though she had to travel some 650 kilometres from her home to go there. On arrival, Ruby's hopes came crashing down. She says, It felt like a bomb exploding in my head after I saw half-naked girls coming out of one of the rooms. She was imprisoned in a room, the windows were covered, a guard was posted outside her door, and Ruby was told that she had to pay off her travel debt by being exploited by online pedophiles. Ruby had been caught in the abhorrent web of online sexual exploitation of children, or OSEC for short. And the Philippines is a hotspot for OSEC, uh, where local traffickers take payment from online predators in exchange for subjecting thousands of children like Ruby to unimaginable abuse. Ruby had never anticipated such horror. At one time she found herself calling out for help, banging on the front door, but was threatened with a knife unless she stopped. And all she could do was call out to God in desperate prayer, Lord, if you are real, please get me out of here. And we're going to just pause the story there for a little bit and allow me to add maybe just a few more statistics to those that we mentioned earlier. According to IJM, uh, in 2016, for example, one million children were victims of sex trafficking. The average age of the children rescued in IJM's cyber sex trafficking cases is 12 years old. And the average age of commercial sex trafficking victims from IJM's work in the Philippines was 16 to 17 years old. 
Human trafficking generates about $150 billion a year, and two-thirds of that come from commercial sexual exploitation. Uh, with the rise of internet access, of course, uh, pedophiles anywhere in the world can direct live sexual abuse of boys and girls hidden in private homes or internet cafes. And so perhaps you can see why I've called this new three-part series Sex, Screens and Slavery. Because our phones are really the modern tools of exploitation in our world. Tools that help injustice fester and spread like mould in the dark. Tools that can be used for good, absolutely, but can also be used for great evil. And today on our official Freedom Sunday, I want us to think about how it is that we can fight slavery and exploitation. With these tools, yes, with our screens, with the internet, but more importantly, with religious advocacy. In his letter, uh, uh, James, after talking about how listening to God's Word must be followed by doing God's Word, James is big on that, he says this, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So I'm calling this uh, religious advocacy. Uh, two, I think, fairly weighty words and both perhaps requiring a little bit of definition. And so we're going to start with the meaning of religion. What is religion? And then think about what does advocacy look like and then follow that by the need for holiness. So what is religion? What is religion? Probably the most common answer you might hear these days is is that religion is the cause of all the problems in the world. Have you ever heard that? Perhaps you feel that way here today. Religion is the problem. The dictionary states that religion is the belief in and worship of a superhuman power or powers, especially a god or gods. And often, of course, that's accompanied by uh, religious practices, by ritualistic observances, and all other kind of actions in life. Back in the last century, Christians would often say that religion is, is all about humans seeking God, reaching up to God, whereas Christianity is all about God seeking humans, reaching down to us. And this is absolutely true. The meaning of grace is that God comes to rescue us in our absolute helplessness and hopelessness, in our position of death and despair. We cannot reach God in our strength. It's impossible. We need Him to reach down to us. Then more recently, we would probably say that Christianity is not a religion. I say this all the time. It's not a religion. It is a relationship, first and foremost, most importantly. It's a relationship. And this is true. It's not about rituals and observances. It's about relating to God. It's about walking with God. It's about living with God. And doing that all because of the reconciliation of Jesus' death. Christianity, think of it this way. Christianity 
is about being adopted by a loving heavenly father. And to say that it is just a religion is like saying that your family is only about chores and household routine. Just that's, that's what defines your family. But that's not true, is it? But it completely ignores the relationships that the family is built on. But that's not to say that religion isn't part of Christianity. And under the umbrella of the Christian faith, religion is the doing that James would talk about. It's, it's, it's faith put into action. It's about living in and living out our relationship with God. It's a response to God seeking us and saving us and adopting us. It is, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, gratitude. Active gratitude. And so this is why time and time again we find God denouncing empty religion in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Religion that is disconnected from a relationship with Him. And instead He urges justice, He urges compassion, which comes out of that relationship. So Isaiah chapter 1 is a great example. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new mean feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What does he call their religion? Meaningless, worthless, bloodstained. This is how he describes Old Testament Israel. They went through all the ritualistic motions. They ticked all the boxes. When called to worship, they were there. But then they went out to oppress and abuse and exploit and trample the vulnerable. And the pattern has been repeated countless times, hasn't it, throughout history? Holy wars of the Crusades, religious violence between Catholics and Protestants in Ireland. This is, this is what religion turns into. The corruption of religious leaders all around the world. But before we, we just point the finger at others and say, yeah, look at the scandals, look what happened there. What about ourselves? Maybe we, on our own screens, have indirectly contributed to oppression through our shopping or through our pornography. Supporting industries that enslave. Or maybe ours is the guilt of just not caring. As James says a few chapters later in an equally punchy chapter and he's great at ending these chapters with you know pow there it goes he says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them
And see, our world and our own lives are full of impure religion, aren't they? Corrupted religion, faulty religion, impure action or impure inaction. But what about pure religion? What about faultless religion? What does that look like? Well, according to James, at first it looks like advocacy and then it looks like holiness. So first he says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now in those days, the two most vulnerable groups of people were orphans or the fatherless, uh, elsewhere called, and widows. Because in that culture, without a man to offer provision and protection and security... Widows and children were incredibly at risk of poverty and exploitation. Now, in our own society, particularly here in the West, this is not as much the case, is it? Equality and welfare, they they offer significant help to people who are struggling. But there are still many cultures, many parts of the world where things are exactly the same. Widows and orphans are virtually powerless and they are quickly preyed upon. And in the case of children, it's not always orphans. In the world of OSEC, many children are exploited and abused by their own parents for financial gain. But whether a child is orphaned or not, one thing is unquestionable is their vulnerability. And is what it's to be. A, ch- a child is vulnerable. The victims of slavery are some of the most vulnerable people in the world. Vulnerable and voiceless. Hopeless and helpless. As Jesus says, they are the very least of His. And what you do for them, you do for Christ Himself. It's in the parable of the sheep and the goat. These are the very people who God calls us to look after. That's the words that James uses, to look after, to care for, to advocate for. These days, I think we often use that word advocacy to talk about advocating for issues or causes or, or policies, don't we? You know, we might be advocates of conservative values or advocates of gender equality or advocates of a political party or something along those lines. But originally, this word was to identify someone who defended or represented another person, particularly a struggling person, to advocate for someone who needs help. The Bible says that God the Father is our advocate. He advocates on our behalf because He is our provider and protector. John says that Jesus is our advocate. Because he forgives us. He pays the price. And and Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate. Because he counsels us and represents us to the Father. And this is the advocacy that we as image bearers are called to reflect. To advocate as our God does for those who are in the greatest need. To offer provision and protection, to give counsel and representation, to defend. 
It's no accident, I, I don't think, that a lot of these words are used for lawyers, aren't they? Lawyers are called advocates, counsellors, defenders, representatives, etc. Because this, all of this is at the heart of their job. Now, lawyers in our culture uh, get a bit of a bad rap sometimes, don't they? And perhaps that's because of greed. Perhaps that's because they find their own ways to exploit people. But in essence, this is what they are. They are advocates for those in trouble. Whenever I listen to the stories of what IJM lawyers are doing, for example, I'm very moved by what I hear. These people that are devoting their lives and their learning to protect the most vulnerable. They could be raking in the big bucks, but they choose this work. It's highly commendable. I think it's fantastic. And we should thank God for lawyers like that, not to mention all the other staff and volunteers and contributors and other organisations who do that work. And I think it's also a great example of how we can be advocates and representatives as well, simply by supporting people like that who are on the front lines, we do that work. Now, of course, there is more than just giving money to causes. But it is definitely one thing that we can do to be religious advocates of the voiceless and the vulnerable. Listen to the second part of Ruby's story. Uh, We left her praying for God's help after having her life threatened. Miraculously, the very next day, Ruby was rescued along with five other girls. Uh, With IJM's support, Ruby was able to testify against her attackers. The trial lasted for four long years, but the couple who trafficked her were sentenced to 15 years imprisonment. And another person received life without parole. And what's so amazing is that Ruby found the courage to forgive her abusers, praying for them even as they were convicted. She says, it took me great courage to forgive, but it was through forgiveness that I was freed from anger and pain. Ruby is now safe and free. She completed a bachelor's degree in English and is now working and living independently. And in the future, she hopes to help other girls who have been trapped in similar forms of exploitation and oppression. Today, Ruby is using her voice to remind us of the power of grace and transformation. She says, I am a living testimony of God's immeasurable love. Indeed, we have a great God who is able to turn our painful stories into powerful testimony. It was God's grace that taught me to forgive and extend his grace even in the most difficult situations and to the most impossible people. Ruby goes from slavery to freedom, from brokenness to restoration, from abuse to forgiveness, from despair to hope, and from having absolutely no voice whatsoever to having a powerful voice for change. And this is God's work of redemption. He's the one behind it all. 
And this is the work that he calls us to join, to be a part of, religious advocacy. And it starts with knowing. You might question, well, you know, why do we have to talk about these things and focus on these things? But how do we know the distress of the vulnerable unless we talk about it? Awareness comes before advocacy. Only then can we find ways to look after those in need. But there's one other, or many others, but there's another indirect way that we can help this fight. And that is our own holiness. Our own freedom from slavery. Slavery to idols. Slavery to sin. Slavery to the very products and industries that are used to exploit and abuse others. James says that it's to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's a strong word, isn't it? Polluted. And later on in chapter 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And see, what James is saying here is that if a relationship with God comes before the religion that we might do, then that religion needs to include a faithfulness to that relationship. It goes both ways. Because a relationship with the world is, in effect, adultery. What do we mean by the world? I think it's good to just pause and consider that. Well, the world is the realm that is controlled by sin and the flesh. As opposed to God and the Spirit. It is the realm of selfishness instead of selflessness. It's the realm of idolatry. Friendship with the world is when we seek masters other than God. Jesus says it about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you could put anything else in place of money there. You cannot serve both God and your own popularity or your own screens or your own sexual indulgence. See, just like Christianity has to be a relationship over a religion, because God is a person, not a thing, so idols cannot be a relationship because they are not a person. They're they're stuff. But we humans are so good at serving stuff, aren't we? Over God and over people. We give stuff power over ourselves. We make stuff our master. We become stuff's slaves, whether it's money or sex or screens or any number of things. We let them rule us. And so in the next two weeks, we will consider these types of slavery even further. But here is the principle. You have to put in the effort to keep from being polluted by the world. One of the things 
that the podcast about Ruby highlights is how a normal person can find themselves on the other side of that camera. Having let pornography and unchecked sexual desire slowly twist them and corrupt them, even into online pedophiles. And even if you're a hundred steps back from such things, or a thousand steps, there is a whole industry out there. In fact, it's more than an industry, there is a whole culture out there that props up the exploitation of people for the selfish gratification of others instead of respecting their dignity, protection and freedom. And if that doesn't hit home, remember that a world and a heart that's ruled by selfishness will always urge us to look out for number one. Others are not my concern. What can I do about 40 million? I can't help. And at best... They become faceless victims who maybe earn a general, slight feeling of sympathy. And at worst, they are objects for whom we haven't a shred of empathy or compassion. Now, uh, that can create a weight on us, can't it? All, All that we've just talked about. And I do want to say, it's not there in my notes, but... The relationship that we have with God is about forgiveness. It's about freedom. It's about Jesus paying for all of those weaknesses and all of those things that we are prone to and setting us free. And remember, it's our response to that that means we can, in freedom, go and seek the good of others. And we will talk a lot more about that grace as we go in the next couple of weeks as well. We don't set ourselves free from the slavery to sin. Jesus sets us free. And so I know which side that that I, that you, that we all want to be on. But we do need to choose it and we need to keep choosing it. Religious advocacy, personal holiness, compassion, justice and freedom for the vulnerable, voiceless and oppressed. Let's pray. Father God, as we sit here this morning, we are both horrified by the sufferings of so many in our world, by the actions of certain people, of perpetrators who would sink so low, And we're also uncomfortable with how easy it is to just go about our own lives. To let statistics be statistics. And just focus on what's right in front of us. Father, we want to ask for forgiveness for where we are more concerned with our own needs than the needs of others. And when our religion is purely about us, rather than how we respond to your grace and share your love with those who need it.
Help us, Lord, to be advocates. Help us to seek purity in our religion so that we can better defend and help and represent those who are struggling. But Lord, help us not to think that we can do it on our own. Help us not to think that we can discover our own freedom and share that, but that it only can come from the gospel, the rescue of Jesus and the relationship that you have given us in him. Lord, in the joy of that, we pray, help us to put aside our own needs and desires, to learn about the challenges of others in this world and to contribute, to serve, to give of ourselves. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.